And it's what I talk about with a lot of my clients is that psychology behind making those investments. Mm -hmm. It has to be in your life. You know, you have to, you have to believe that it, it needs to exist. Yeah. If you don't believe that it should exist, you're not going to make that jump. I told you long ago on the road, I got what they're waiting for. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode eight of Overtime with Nav. As always, I'm your host, Navid Rahimian, CPA and president of Nav Capital Consulting. We try to continue to deliver value for our guests and bring super cool entrepreneurs, business professionals, and people who are just fucking killing it in the space. And I'm super excited to introduce you to my next guest, uh, a, you know, brother of mine. Actually, Bajanov, and for those who don't know what a Bajanov is, um, you know, it's actually a Persian term unique to our relationship. Uh, this uh, beautiful relationship that our, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit, but our wives uh, brought to us. <laughs> uh, not married yet, but just, you know, when she is my wife, someone the, someone will be my Bajanov. So essentially it's, we have, our wives are so sisters, so my wife's sister's husband is my Bajano. And so, so I took one sister and he took the other sister. That's right. And now we're brothers. Yes, yes. Welcome to the show, Salman. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Um, you know, more on a professional side, uh, Salman goes by Sam. Uh, by those who he served, Sam Sholian is a principal of SKS Construction, has done some incredible, incredible things in the construction space, and they have a very unique um, uh, you know, value add as it relates to what they offer, because I believe you guys do the design and build, um, uh, with respect to the space. And so if you can give us a brief intro of SKS construction, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and, uh, we could take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Before I begin, I want to say brother of mine, Navid, I love you. I'm proud of you. Uh, super excited to be here. It's an honor. And, uh, you know, before I got in, I told you my uh, sister-in-law just gave birth. Oh, God. Break all news. Break all news. I think we need to uh, cheers to that. Congratulations. Yes, I think I think that's a a good idea. Yeah. Um. So it's been an emotional day today. Yeah, when I first saw you coming in, I saw that, you know, smile on your face. I'm like, what's going on? I don't think you're that happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't get the grin off my face. I was like, it's a feeling that I've never felt before. Um, and I'll be heading to the hospital right after this. So oh my we, we could say I'm doing the double overtime. Double overtime. Double overtime tonight. I love it, man. I congratulations. You. Wishing for blessings for your family. May this baby bring all the brachas and blessings uh, that that he can. And I'm so excited for the future. Models up. Congratulations. Congratulations to the family. Yeah, so it'll be Uncle Sam to them professionally. Like you said, Sam, principal, SKS Construction. So essentially, yes, we are a design-build company. Okay. And we specialize in projects that require designing and construction mm -hmm. pretty much at the same time. Okay. So fields that we're in are the retrofitting, namely soft tray retrofits, the new Senate bill that came out for, you know, the balconies and balcony inspections as well as uh, ADUs, which are an opportunity for add value to, you know, the owner or developer or whoever is in charge of the building. 
and um, SKS Construction was founded in back in 1987. My my dad was the the founder, wow. and we revamped the company uh, in 2016. And uh, essentially, our company structure is one where you know it's a one stop shop. You have it from your architect, your engineer. We have our project managers, our laborers. And all our city runners, and obviously our sales team and administrative team to give that uh, you know that service for our clients. That's amazing. You guys have uh, definitely been able to vertically integrate pretty quickly, and that's uh, very good. And you know we can talk about the benefits of that, and I'd, I'd like to get your take on it as well because uh, I know a lot of folks that have different uh, um, you know vendors that can help with one aspect of the pro- project, and whereas right now it seems like SKS can serve pretty much from start to finish for for the most part as it relates to the construction side and the and the entire project side, right? Absolutely, and you know, clients they like it, right? They they don't have to deal with different entities. Um, the timeline of construction is shortened and curtailed because you know we're able to do design and start the construction and then do the rest of the design mid construction, and obviously having all of that under one roof. You know, shortens the construction time. You know, price-wise, we're very competitive because it's all under the same roof. And uh, and finally, you know, these these owners don't like any liability. They they you know the engineer makes a mistake. They want it to be owned by them, and that's rare to happen when it comes to uh, you know your your contractors and your engineers. Everyone wants to pass off that finger pointing, and so under one roof, the liability is. I point them at it. Yeah, well, shout out, shout out to now Grandpa Saul for founding this company. Yeah, today he becomes a grandpa. That's amazing. He's the founder. Shout out to him. Congratulations once again to him and and your family, Sam. And, uh, you know, kind of going into that, but, you know, I know in 2016, I understand you guys started. I wanted to kind of understand how you came into play. What made you get into this space and, you know, how, give me a little bit about the journey of uh, where you're at today and where it started and kind of, you know, that process. How far back do you want me to go? Well, I mean, what, did you know that you wanted to follow uh, Papa's footsteps from day one or? uh, Yeah, pretty, pretty early on. I mean, I I was raised, um, you know, seeing my dad as as an engineer uh, go into that construction space. Which, which back then wasn't really the most popular thing, right? The, the, those are the two different types of minds. One has an extremely conservative, and the other one is a little bit more, hey, let's get it done kind of attitude, right? Yeah, and requires that extrovertedness. Um, so, but I was exposed to that, and I think I inherited a lot of his personality. Uh-huh. Um, and the wearing all the hats. And you went to college. Yeah, you studying this, studying this stuff. Yeah, so I got my bachelor's in in structural engineering. Okay, I'm UCI. Awesome. And um, I ended up, you know, going into more of a construction side of things with uh, some of the projects that I did in in college. And I got hired by one of the companies that was was at the time hired me for an internship. They hired me full time after college. Hensel Phelps. They're always you know top five, top ten design build firms to you know contractors in, in America and I worked for them for three years um wow. before before you know jumping out and, and revamping the company uh in 2016. That's amazing. And so I mean, you know, for those who are still trying to get their, you know, 
step foot, you know, foot in the door in this space. How was it that you were able to land such a, you know, seems to be an incredible job? Is it? <laughs> Danny, full cool stories you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I could take you to one of the the fun. I mean, the most fun aspects that I had in college, which which wasn't drinking and partying. Uh, that yeah, right. <laughs> but you know, it was um, it was called the Solar Decathlon. Okay, it was this nationwide competition where all of your respective schools across America uh, developed a team, and that team had to build a home uh modularly that is because we had to actually showcase the home at where where the oc fair is taking place right oh it was crazy in orange county and you had to modularize your home plant it at the the fair and it had to be net zero which means that it had to be completely off the grid which means all of its electricity passive solar had to come from solar panels and everything had to come from uh, you know, self-sufficient. And I became uh, the structural work group leader, someone who I met, Alex McDonald. Um, he was one of my mentors and he was the the project manager of the whole project. So he oversee, he oversaw all of the different groups and he made me the structural work group leader. And I was never your strongest engineer. Okay. Um, but, but I knew that, you know, if I could get the best team together, we could accomplish this task and do it really well. So I ended up, you know, coordinating with the best students in the class. Yeah. You know, the ones who always got the A's. And I ended up, you know, getting them in our team. And I sold it to them as, hey, this is going to be experience as well as we're going to use it for a senior project. Uh, and it was actually something they'll learn from. And we absolutely killed it. We got second place uh, in structural design. In the nation. In the nation. And and to round about to how I got that job was that all of these companies, Gensler, which is a huge architectural firm who built the Ritz-Carlton, Hensel Phelps, they were our mentors. And my job as the structural work group leader was to come and speak on our design, you know, how it function meets aesthetics and how we're dealing with all of the those issues and they would help us and they saw how passionate I was I guess and they gave me that internship and um finally gave me that full-time full-time job in the corporate world that I thought was the uh, the pinnacle of the mountain that's amazing it you know we've we've had a quite a few episodes now so I'm on it and it just you know it's crazy how that one instant one experience just completely changes or revolutionizes you know your career path and it seems like this was this was it for you it really was. Yeah. It really was because I was always thinking that I was going to just be a behind the desk desk engineer. Mm -hmm. But I knew that wasn't me. Yeah. So I guess subconsciously my my essence was just always pushing the envelope and trying to get into a construction aspect. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that opportunity presented itself and I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, hone in on it. Right. That's crazy. And so as I understand it, spent a few years there. And then it was time to make a transition. Um, were you kind of one foot out the door when you made the transition out of the corporate world? Or were you kind of 
you know, uh, you know, you made the decision, you went full force and you did it or how, how was that process for you? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. So it was 2015 okay. when, um, you know, my dad, he opened up a restaurant in like 2012 and he shut down the construction company or sorry, 2009. Cause you know, the economy wasn't so good at right. nine, 10, he shut down and, and then he calls me in like 2015 and he says, Hey, there's an ordinance coming and it's the soft story retrofit of and it's very similar to the past ordinances that he had been spearheading and, and, and servicing for. So I, I would be at work, right, at the corporate company and I would be doing analysis on buildings while on the clock. Mm. And it was kind of like, in my mind, I, I needed to get that done so that I could feel comfortable taking that jump. Even till the last day when I, when I, when I quit, um, I told my boss, I was like, you know, hey, my, my dad is having um, a small procedure that I need to take some time away for. And I wasn't lying, uh -huh. but it was a little bit stretch of the truth. Uh -huh. And I needed to do that so that, you know, I, if, I, if I took the jump and I still needed to come back, I would be able to. So I actually had all the benefits <laughs> of the corporate company for six months after I actually left. Yeah. Um, but I would say two days after... I left, I knew I was never going back. Yeah. I knew I was never going back. And, yeah. and it, it hit me while I was at a plumbing supply store. I was buying supplies for a job site and my boss texted me. And I said, wow, that was my life just a week ago. Right. And this right here is freedom. Right. So I did it. I wasn't making more money. I was making much less money. Right. But that freedom, that possibility was was really all that mattered to me at the time right and still to this day and i'm I'm appreciative for everything that allowed me to do it no absolutely and it, and it's and it seems like everyone has a time everyone has a you know process and a journey but uh you know to be able to turn that side hustle into your main hustle and that main hustle now thankfully being something that's just skyrocketed for you guys is just an experience that a lot of people value. And so appreciate you sharing that, that initial journey. So, you know, fast forward a little bit now it's all about, okay, how do we capitalize on this, um, ordinance that's, that's coming out. And for me, what, what really interests me is, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, especially in the real estate space in California, they seem to be very, rightfully so, you know, very, uh, for lack of a better word, disgusted by all the regulation that goes on in our in our city, in our state. Yeah. Um, and what's very interesting for me and your organization is you guys are able to capitalize on it. You know, uh, there comes a point in time where, uh, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, right? And so why not navigate your uh, ventures towards doing things that, you know, the big bosses, the city, the government is kind of telling you, hey, we're doing this. You better capitalize on it. And so this was kind of like, it seems like, oh, that's like a, you know, light bulb that opens up and let's say, and it says, okay, guys, go after it. So how is that, how is that process for you? Well, I mean, tell me about, because like, it sounds like you focused on the sales and you're heavily a sales guy being able to really showcase what SKS is all about. What was that process for you? I mean, did you have a huge sales team from the top? From the beginning, was it all you, or what was that like? Yeah, so so with sales, you know, comes uh, how big is the market, and how much of the market do I do, do I feel like I can grab, right? Right. 
Um, and then, yeah, to your point, you know, following these city ordinances and capitalizing on them, believe me, there's not many that we can capitalize on. Right. Um, these are the select few that require our expertise and, uh, and we're perfectly built for. Um, as far as SKS goes and in, in, in an aspect of how it started and how we managed to go about such a big pie um, was, you know, it really was just at the beginning, it was just me. I mean, we're talking about my cell phone number, you know, my personal line was on the banners, on the magazines that we did, uh, you know, uh, advertisings with. Um, cold calling, just hitting up like a whole list of people that we got from the title company to just, you know, get as much colleagues as we can. And I mean, to our, to our benefit, um, good reputation spreads fast. Right. And, you know, the, the apartment owner community is one where a lot of people know each other. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was spaced out with all the deadlines. Right. So we knew how to go about each deadline and went to uh, spread our wings for different cities and what they needed to get done at the time for each building. Um, but I would say sales is one part of it. I think the more important part of scaling is that is that organization, right? And I think it's the biggest difference between, I would say, my father and I. My father was a big believer of, you know, we do one job at a time. And we do one job to completion, and then we go to the next one. Whereas I, I was more like, how can we stagger and streamline, like an assembly line, these retrofits and do, you know, now we do about 40 at a time. We have like 40 to 50 jobs in construction at a time because that's what's necessary. Um and that was really what we, my brother and I got from our backgrounds at corporate companies was those kinds of organizational skills with these different methods with Excel and um, these applications on, on the internet and, and, and on, you know, the computers that were able to give everyone access to this big snapshot of where the company's at yeah. and be able to, you know, seamlessly do 40 to 50 jobs at one time. Yeah, that's why I remember. Uh, I already knew your your brother was the Excel whiz when it came to organizing your bachelor party. <laughs> he really is. I mean, his, his mind is a lot more uh, logical and, and organized than mine is, right? I'm the one blazing the fire. Yeah. And he's behind me putting all those pieces together. And that's why I, I couldn't ask for a better partner and and brother. You know, the trust and, 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 the, and the complementariness of it is always just... Um, you, you know, you couldn't get better with the mentorship of my father. I mean, Laheim to that, it's Cheers. blessing. Cheers to them. And, you know, to see family businesses flourish like that, it's, you know, it's, it's not always common, but it's amazing to see. And uh, congratulations on all your success. We wish you guys all, all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, so you talked about the soft story retrofit. I mean, it's not, it's still going, right? It's still a requirement. What do you think the market is right now with that? I mean, do you think most people, um, uh, most property owners have kind of uh, satisfied their requirement or had to satisfy their requirement? Tell me about the environment right now. Yeah. So if you were to look at, uh, you know, the whole market and all of the projects that need to be done and kind of where it is on a bell curve, um, we're, we're after the peak. Okay. Right. So Los Angeles 
itself had about 15,000 buildings that were deemed soft story. Okay. And outside of Los Angeles, on the other cities that obviously, you know, inducted this same ordinance are now coming up. Right. And they're about 10,000 buildings. And a lot of them have already done it as well because they knew it was coming and it was in their budget and they got it done. So right now, LA is predominantly completed. And now it's mainly the other municipalities uh, or like uh, the southern cities like Glendale, Pasadena, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica. Um, all of those cities are now on um, hitting their deadlines and... Um, yeah, we're we're obviously reached a point where we've ridden that wave so well, I believe, that um, marketing and, and sales cold calling is not necessary. It's more of just our reputation speaks for itself and, and we get enough leads um, in that respect. And um, they're, they're going to have to get it done in the next three to four years. Three to four years, the other jurisdictions are all kind of following suit. So there's kind of more to come as it relates to the soft story. But you guys already did your kind of grassroots, you know, going out there, showing face what SK is all about. Now, thankfully, you're at a place where pretty much getting most of your business through referrals and recurring clients, per se. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of different ways to do the job. And I'd like to say that we've done all the jobs the right way. And um, it is, speaks for itself. Got it. So tell me a little bit about what's in the pipeline. Any new ordinances, anything that uh, developers and property owners should know about? Yeah, um, so this next ordinance, um, it's following up pretty quickly right behind the the soft story, and it's really concerning the same group of people, uh, which are the apartment owners or multi-residential owners, which is also includes HOAs. And that's the SB 326, which is for, S uh, for the HOAs, and it's SB 721, which is for the apartment uh, buildings. Okay. And that's a, a bill that's going to be concerning all elevated exterior elements. Okay. And those include balconies, exterior walkways. You got, you know, your staircases that are exterior and elevated. And, you know, Los Angeles is an old building. And so those all need to be looked at and inspected before January 2025. You have to have a report into the city that ultimately, you know, takes the city's liability for any damage or, you know, God forbid, fatality out of their hands. God, why, where did this stem from? Was there something that happened? Yeah. Mo most, you know, policies are passed because there was a tipping point. The unfortunate truth. The yeah. one has to get screwed over, hurt, whatever, and then they implement it. Right, right. Yeah. Whether whether it's, you know, validated or not, that's up to subjective views. But this originated in uh, Berkeley, California. Okay. And there was uh, a fatality of six people that had about, you know, a lot of people on their balcony. The balcony collapsed and six people uh, died. And so since practically immediately after, um, the city, the, the state was saying, hey, we want nothing to do with any of these injuries. They want practically CYA, right? Cover their ass yeah, and not have the liability. So they're saying, hey, you got to get this done. God, we don't want to hear about it. You got to get it done. We want the report from an engineer, from a building professional. Got it. And so what is the most upcoming deadline for that? 
right now? Yeah. So all of them uh, in Los Angeles is January of 2025. January 25, you have to... Yeah, January. Sorry. Yeah, January 2025. Excuse me. Yeah, January 2025. And what is that? What is the requirement by that? It requires for us to do an inspection, write a report, and have that report uh, sent into the city. Got it. How how busy have you guys gotten from that prop from those projects? Uh, you know, extremely busy. Yeah. Um. Now, in respect to these inspections, they're not as big of projects as the retrofits for just the inspection. And then hopefully not all of them need a lot of work. Um, you know, we obviously give our recommendations. Um, and yeah, but it's a, it's an extremely big market and it's, it's, it's a beautiful time for growth, um, which, which we're ready for. And, you know, we have the, the personnel to do a lot of inspections right now. We're doing about 10 inspections a month and we plan on, you know, ramping that number up. Yeah. As the deadlines come up. I think uh, you guys are gearing up for it. That's amazing. What are the what are the things that you guys are, are you guys doing to ensure that you're you know helping your clients stay compliant and be ahead of the game as it relates to that? What are some of the stuff that you guys are doing? Um, or do you have you carved out any relationships with um, with the city with the, anyone? Or how does that usually work? How do you know if I wanted to look into what I, what's required for me and my properties? What do I do? Yeah, yeah, that that's a great question, and you, you use the word up to date, right? But in the reality is, is that we have to actually stay before date. Yeah, we have to find things out before they actually happen. Yeah. Um. Now, what allows us to do that effectively is having so many projects with the the city and getting them through the city to get you know RTI'd and uh and permitted. Uh, we, we have this chain of communication between us, plan checkers, us, inspectors, you know, and we're always talking to them and we're always trying to push that envelope. And ever so often we get a plan checker or an inspector that, you know, will say, hey, this, this ordinance here is being ratified. This is the changes that are going to happen in the next three, six, nine months. And we will use that information to project what was the best option for our client um there's a funny story actually uh you know the city of west hollywood um the smaller municipality right they're a smaller city and um their city is uh, not the easiest to deal with um but we have a very good reputation with them and they came out with the adu you know uh opening up those floodgates for ADUs, mm-hmm. which are accessory dwelling units where you can add a lot of value to your property. Right. Seems and like a no-brainer. Yeah, right. And they adopted the one that the, that the LA City came out with. And we're going through for our clients, but they're uh, the West Hollywood buildings. And I get a plan checker on the phone and he ends up giving me the news that, hey, in four months, this ADU is going to be ratified and your height limit is going to go from 16 feet to now 18 feet. Oh, wow. Right? Uh, on a flat roof, on a pitched roof, it's going to go to 21 feet. So that now allows for a two-story ADU without having to go underground, which a lot of people were doing, and that's very costly. Right. So I, I called my client. I said, hey, I, I know this. we signed this back in November. I said, hey, we're waiting until February to start this planning because I'm going to be able to give you that two-story that you wanted. Wow. And he said, Wow. He probably saved that guy a ton of money. I made him. Yeah. Right. Because his cap rate 
instantly went to almost, you know, 25% more because he's getting 25% more livable area right. or 50%, 100% more for livable area for the same amount of construction cost. That's amazing. And then, you know, sometimes I understand it as, uh, you know, you were telling me a story about um, the retrofit actually with all these new ADU like allowances that the city is providing and, the, and then sub, submitting the retrofit requirement uh, allows you to build uh, even while, you know, I think you told me a story, basically your retrofit essentially gave the gave the investor additional yeah. power to actually build more ROI on their property. How does that work? How often do you do that? It, well, it, it's very often now. Okay. So 2016 was when the software wave happened. Right. When the ADUs weren't available. Yes. So some of the people that waited lucked out because the ADUs came out in 2020 mm-hmm. and opened up the floodgates for ADUs. Mm-hmm. So we found a perfect opportunity between the two to kill two birds with one stone. Not only get your retrofit done, right, but also adding an ABU in that tuck under parking where the retrofit has to happen and make that into another unit. So we would obviously have to maneuver with two departments, right? Soft story department and the ADU department. And we had to make that left hand and right hand speak to each other. So that was a pretty creative process but it ended up working out where we approved the ADU and then we went into the retrofit department with the plans for the ADU, which allowed us to use just shear walls, which is your most sustainable and inexpensive way to, to do the retrofit. That's pretty crazy. So for those who don't understand what just happened there, you took a compliance requirement for a client and essentially said, hey, I'll help you satisfy this compliance requirement and I'll end up getting you additional, you know, income from another ADU that you're going to be able to rent out and make more money. And it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. The guy's getting like a 33% cap rate. Yeah, something ridiculous. And checking the and box. checking the box of the retrofit, right? And still having parking because he had a 15-foot dedication that allows cars to park in that 15 foot dedication at, at an angle. Yeah. So he still has the parking. He gets 700 more square feet, one bedroom, one bath, and he got the retrofit done and and, uh, and he's got a happy tenant. That's phenomenal. Talk about a win-win for everybody. I, I, I love hearing stories like that. And I think it kind of goes back to the concept of, you know, the uniqueness of SKS in that during you guys are just, you're not just a construction company, you're the architect, you're the engineer, and being able to put all that together gives you these certain advantages that otherwise anyone else who you're going to contract this helps solve something won't kind of see the big picture of things and do and do. That's amazing. Yeah, that's exactly right. It really is about seeing the big picture, right? And and it gives a seat to the contractor before the design begins. Right. So the contractor can we can tell, hey, this is what we got to worry about in constructability also, so that when we go into construction, everything's already hashed out. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. So, so, so Sam, what's, what's kind of, you know, for the investor, the developer, what's keeping SKS busy these days? Cause I know there's a slowdown in real estate. Not everyone's uh, very quick to buy, but what are they doing? What are some of the creative ways? Cause there's always opportunity in real estate, but what are you seeing? What are you supporting uh, these days? Yeah. You're, you're, 
so it's not that the real estate is becoming um, less opportunistic. I think that just the market is showing itself in different angles and it's shifting into different areas of real estate. Um, for example, you know, this ADU market is really allowing um, an opportunity for your mom and pop owner to, you know, make a very good decision in, as, an, as, as a real estate investment if they have, you know, some extra land or they have the space to do an ADU. Okay. Um, so you're doing a lot of the ADUs, right? A lot of ADUs. Um, there are a couple others that are really hot right now. Um, there's there's what we call, so there's, there's two ways to go about your zoning of a property. Okay. Right? There is the buy right method, which is you just follow the codes of that zoning, right? You look up the zone of what, what, what the zone is, R1, R2, R3, C, whatever it may be, and you follow it per the book. And then now there's other incentives, government incentives that, that have come out. For example, one is called small lot subdivision, okay. where you are now the creator of property lines. You have a lot where you can you know, draw your property lines within the parameters, but you can make one lot into two or four, and you can have four units on one R1 zone lot, wow. which before was just, you know, your typical, you know, house on the prairie with your beds and just one home and a detached garage and you couldn't do much. Mm. Now you can have four units. Um, and there's also what we call a density bonus, where the city is now allowing um, developers to create more dense units, create more units as long as they dedicate some of them to low-income housing, Section 8, where the government subsidizes the rent and you are, you're now being able to build so many more units. Got it. So you're seeing a lot of the, a lot of the developers and investors re-navigate to take advantage of some of those opportunities because at the end of the day, with all the regulation, with all this stuff, we have a huge problem in Los Angeles and it's housing, right? And yeah, it's, and it's costly. And so the government is incentivizing people to build more, but be efficient in housing. And honestly, with, uh, all the issues with tenants, especially in Los Angeles, having all the all the rights that they do, it, it almost makes sense to have, you know, affordable housing as part of your portfolio. So very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. I want to shift gears a little bit. Talk about a little bit of your fashion projects, Sam. Um, if it's okay to share, I understand that you're uh, building your own home, and uh, a little bit unique and uh, exciting and. Uh, um, you know, things that kind of go beyond the numbers and what makes sense and the margins. <laughs> you're probably sitting there knowing you thinking about, oh my God, I'm about to, you know, yeah. as this thing is going up, you're saying, oh, this is going to be my future, God willing, my kids' room and all that stuff. And yeah, share some of your experiences with us. How's that going? Um, it, it's, 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 you know, I, I can't explain it in words. It's extremely gratifying. Yeah. Right. Um, I see myself constantly, constantly thinking about it. Yeah. And it's from a place of gratefulness. And, you know, it came at a perfect time in my life. I just got married four months ago. So, yeah. you know, and I think that's why it happened. Um, yeah. My wife. Which, by the way, the best decision you ever made. I absolutely adore your wife. She's amazing. She's an angel on earth. And we had her on the show 
uh, a couple episodes ago, and she she was amazing to be with. I, I absolutely love Jasmine. We miss yeah, you. Yeah, and, and her sister's not far from it. Yes, you know. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah, we're both blessed, and uh, so so it kind of came at a perfect time. I mean, I started dating Jazz, and you know. We, we went about looking at the market and, and she actually found the property. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think knowing that I was going to have a family made it so much easier to make that decision. Yeah. And it's what I talk about with a lot of my clients is that psychology behind making those investments. Mm-hmm. It has to be in, 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 in your life. You know, you have to, you have to believe that it, it needs to exist. Yeah. If you don't believe that it should exist, you're not going to make that jump. Sure. And um, yeah, now we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, and I'd like to say that all of my experience in the company and, you know, treating everybody's building like you were my own building, it makes it very easy for me to build my own house. Yeah. Because I go through that same process, right? That process of learning. Right. Being curious about everything that goes into every trade that is coming to build something on there. And I need to know their work sometimes better than they know their own work because I have to know how it intertwines with the other work. Right. And so it's been a really, uh, I'd like to say I've, I've been pretty good at it. And Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I mean, it, it, does, it does help that, I mean, let's be honest, it does help that you're kind of owning the entire construction costs and piece of it too, right? So that, yes. that's a definitely a benefit. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's scary, right? I mean, I yeah. can't... I, I could only imagine you seeing the place because you guys, you guys bought the place if I'm not mistaken, completely tear tore it down. Well, I, I got really lucky. Um, what I got bought the place, it, it was a tear down, mm-hmm. but I was backup number one. Okay, and the first guy had to back out because it wasn't a livable home. It didn't have a functioning bathroom. Okay, right. So that guy, the first guy, defaulted on the loan. He couldn't get the loan. Oh, wow. get appraised. Okay. So they had to navigate to their second offer, which was, my was the backup number one. Wow. And I had the bargaining power of saying, hey, I'm not going to get the loan either unless you make that bathroom work. Uh-huh. So they made the bathroom work and, and the house was functioning. And, and thanks to my younger brother, Nathan Shulian, who yeah. is uh, an incredible commercial real estate guy. Yeah. Um, he was able to get this house on the market, rent it for me to offset my mortgage. And kudos to him. He, he really got the perfect tenant that was okay with just living there for a year. Amazing. So you found a tenant, put it to service, got some cash flow going out of it. So you, you're not completely out of the water. Right. And then, so in that time, what did you do? You, you submitted plans or what, yeah. how does that tell me, tell us about the process for the first time developer. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time I, I had all the resources that I needed Okay. as far as architectural. I mean, I was, you know, my brother was the engineer, so we did the engineering Yeah. and, uh, you know, we, we did, uh, we had enough time to build something that we could fall in love with right? and get it approved. And we got it approved in about seven months. Okay. And is that, is that like a short, I mean, for those who don't know about this space, like the approval process with the city is that sure? Is that normal? Is that seven months for uh, an R one, you know, maximum billable area? Uh, that's that's really good. Your ADU is much quicker, right? Right. Uh, but it all dep- depends on the department, how impacting that department is, um, and how fast their turnaround is. Okay. Um, so in this case, that seven months. What 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 department is it? Well, that's going to be your building and safety. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not a specific 
department. It's just building and safety. Okay. And that goes through the, the ringer. So six to seven months is, is standard. Standard. Okay. Standard time. But oftentimes it gets even delayed further. Yeah. There are times where, you know, um, you know, there were times where the soft story market was impacted and it had to do with city backlogs. I mean, they were taking four months just to give you back corrections. Right. Right. Um, but I'm thinking as an accountant, putting my hat on and right. I'm looking at, I'm going to go in, let's say I want to build, build a home. I'm going to go in and I have to wait. There's some things that are not in my hands. Generally, you, you know, if you have delays and all this stuff, you're coming out of water, especially if you have a loan yeah. on a property and you want to get yeah. done with it. So you, 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 so doing some research will tell you, but what it comes down to, right. And to answer your question is that you have to know how many departments you have to go through mm -hmm. to get your RTI. So you have your plans, okay. which are what you give to the city as far as architecturals and engineering and all that title 24 that tells the city, Hey, what I want to build here. The city says, okay, that calcs out looks good. Right. But then there are what we call clearances uh -huh. and clearances can be from one clearance to 10 clearances. Uh -huh. Right. And those clearances are all have to go to a separate department. So if you have to get fire approval, you got to go to the fire department. If you have to get, you know, urban forestry because you have several trees on the lot that are, you know, indigenous or they are, you know, endangered, you have to go to urban forestry and get that department's approval. Um, if you have to go, you know, ADA accessibility, you have to go to the ADA department. So depending on how many departments you have to go through and how well versed you are in what you know they're going to require, the faster you're going to go through these clearances. But someone who's not well versed in the code and doesn't know how to get their plans approved by each one of these departments can really drag on approvals for, for years. Right. You, picking the right person for the job is extremely important. Right. And picking someone who does the job all day, every day is very important. Because you said something really important to me in this space before is like, you need to know how to fight the right battles, yeah. right? So like if someone's going there fighting a battle, trying to knock down an indigenous tree, that's there no way in hell they're gonna, you know, thing like, okay, you're just wasting your time there. That seven months can turn into 16 months and yeah, it probably never even get done. Yeah, and then there's people that you don't wanna get on your bad side. Right. Right, so if, if you're able to know what they're going to require, Go even a little bit beyond that. Yeah. So that you show them, hey, I know what I'm doing. That trust that they build with you allows them to relax. Right. Allows them to not scrutinize every little detail in your plans. Right. And so part of our job is to uphold the reputation that we have created over the last 36 years. Sure. Is to make sure that when a plan checker, an inspector, um, the fire department or any department comes and sees our plans and they see SKS construction, hey, I've seen their work before. I know that I can trust them. Right. Right. I, I've worked with their dad. I've I've seen them do, you know, the, the last, you know, they have 500 of these projects in the last five years. I mean, we're not going to go and kill them over it. Right. Yeah. Which, because uh, at the end of the day, they're just people. Right. And they're people that want to do their job right. Right. But they don't want to make your life a living hell unless you make them. Right. So you give them reasons to to treat you guys the way that, you know, you've upheld the reputation. That's great. Uh, and and I totally agree, you know, put the right 
professionals in place with the right credibility and uh, uh, you guys definitely know what you're doing. So, so okay. Yeah, and, go, and going back, just a quick story that I want to tell me, tell me. You know, building the house, right? Yeah. The own house that I'm building and uh, it was the third inspection that we're having there. Okay. And the inspector shows up uh-huh. and it, now it's his jurisdiction. It's his 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 place to become inspector for this this area. And I didn't know him. And, you know, we go through the inspection. I had, you know, Haniel, our engineer from SKS there. I had the contractor, the framer there. I, myself as the contractor and, you know, owner, I was there. And we pass inspection, you know, we're putting our roofing, we're putting our windows right now. So we pass all the framing. And as the inspector's walking out, he takes a glance at the banner outside and he sees SKS. And he takes his time, which, you know, inspectors don't have much time. He, he walks back into the lot and he says, hey, uh, is, this, is this your company? Is this this family business? And, and, I, and I said, yeah, yeah, it is. My father started the company. He said, is your father's name Saul? And I said, yes, that's my father's name. And he's like, you know, I used to work for your dad. You kid. And this is the guy who is now inspecting my home yeah. and my projects wow. that was an employee for my father back in, this was like, you know, the 80s. Wow. And, you know, he was a fa- framer by trade. And now he's, you know, approving our plans. And it was just such a beautiful interaction once he said that. And, you know, you know, we shook hands, we hugged each other. I, I said, I'm going to tell my dad that you, you know, you said hello. And um, it was a beautiful thing, you know, after 30 years to, to run into the same legacy. Yeah. And I'm sure it's been helping, you know, shout out to... To now Grandpa Saul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. For helping you speed up that kind of, you know, what seems to be a very rigorous process in the inspection period. So that's awesome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, so just going back to that, you know, with the property, that journey. So you go through that seven months and you finally receive, is that RTI, is that what we call? Yeah, so RTI is, uh, it stands for ready to issue. Okay. Which is... Uh, right before you get your clearances, mm-hmm. but right after you have your plans actually approved. So your plans are approved. Okay. The next, you have RTI ready to issue, but you have to get the clearances before you can pull a permit. Okay. Okay. And so what happens after that? So you finally get that. That's a, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. You've got RTI. It seems like you, you're ready to go. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. So so some developers say, hey, I'm just going to sell this RTI. That's gold right there. Right. Right. Because yeah. it, 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 it shows that, hey, we, we know what you could build. We've already had it ready to go. You just need to get a contractor. Right. Right after you get the RTI and your clearances approved, you're now looking at the uh, the build process, uh-huh. which is pulling a permit. Uh-huh. And once you pull a permit, you're now off to breaking ground. How long is that pulling permit? Is it instantaneous? It's instantaneous. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's instantaneous. Once you have your RTI set of plans, you go to the city, two sets. You give one to the city. You keep one. Yeah. You pull the permit. Pay him a lump sum, and then you then you go and you build whatever you had planned out for the vision of that property. Got it. And is there several? I'm assuming several permits throughout the process, or is it one permit for the whole project? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Okay. But uh, most developments, uh, if there's something existing on the build uh, on the lot, you have to get a demo permit. Um, if if you want to do you know uh, different kind of work, you have to get a separate permit for that. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have one job and you've started it and then you run into something and you have to now pull in a different permit for that work and then do that work and then resume with what you had been doing. Um, those are all uh, grounds. But the main goal is to just get one permit, 
and and then do and do and what you do and execute yeah okay generally for your timeline so once you got that rti and you started um there's a term for a breaking ground or uh you know what commencement yeah the commencement of it what how long is your process for projecting to take until it's done for my house from rti to yeah so from pulling permit and, and breaking ground so i started in middle of may right now is middle of august i plan on being done before the end of the year okay which is extremely aggressive but i i, I know it's possible generally what is the timeline generally um for a house like mine it's about a year about a year yeah and i'm doing it almost half that time okay yeah best of luck man yeah and it's all about planning it's all about again you know allowing that contractor a seat at the table well before you begin allowing the interior designer a seat at the table well before you begin right and you know i want to take a step back maybe talk about a little bit on the uh you know tax consideration of some of this stuff um because right now i'm hearing a lot uh, a lot of a lot of real estate professionals a lot of investors kind of you know pulling back and giving me the argument of hey nav uh you know I'm not too bullish on real estate right now. I'm going to hold back, which totally respect. Ultimately, you know, you know, they know their margins and they know what what makes sense for them. But they're like, hey, you know, an argument I get all the time is, hey, why would I spend all this money, all this effort to ultimately generate a four cap? You know, get get into a four cap, um, you know, with limited value add and and not be able to monetize on it, and where uh, I could put my money in a savings account and a high yield savings account and get 5% or even put my money in treasury and get 5%. I just want to make sure we talk about apples to apples, right? And it's very, very important. While of course there are certain decisions you make in real estate that outweigh any of the tax considerations So disclaimer there, but the benefits of owning real estate and, 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 and the, what you can save out of it, uh, when it comes to a professional who's making good money and wants to save taxes and wants a tax plan is bar none. So when it comes to the very simple example of, hey, I'm going to put my money in a high yield savings account, the tax consideration for there is really you're going to be paying federal and state taxes on the interest income you get. No way around it. You're going to be paying that tax, right? If you invest in treasuries, there's a little bit benefit of, uh, you know, you get you get the deduction on the state side. Um, but ultimately you're paying the federal tax. And then also our Fed has an, an additional net interest income tax uh, that is assigned to it. And so ultimately your net yield on 5%, you're looking at probably closer to 2.9%, right? Um, and so, and so you know, I always want my investors and people who are looking to put their money in to, to really think about the apples to apples. So that's, that's the number you're getting on a 5% yield now, consider you're getting a five cap on a property um, for someone who is making a lot of money, not only can they you know, ultimately get that five cap and probably get a benefit, um, there's a lot of tax breaks on real estate. There's other intangibles that you could think about. The depreciation on real estate is something that our tax code has blessed us with. And it's very important that we consider when we're making these decisions. Because let's just go through your example for a second, right? Um, you Let's say you choose for a second not to live in your property. You ultimately, let's say, found a steal of a deal. 
I don't know, our, our wives are fun. They may find something and they'll be like, you know what, Sam? I want to go and I want to live on the water. You're ultimately paying the same amount. We find a killer deal. You guys move there and you choose to rent that thing out, right? You choose to rent that thing out and then, you know, you get a decent market rate for it. And then let's say that in that first year, because you bought that property, what, 2021? 2021, okay. November. You bought that property in 2021. So if you were to place that to rent, uh, place out and rent in 2024, because it was in 2021, you're sub, you are part of the 100% depreciation or uh, bonus depreciation rules. What does that mean? So there's a cap. There's a there's a sunsetting of these depreciation rules for those that don't know. The depreciation rules basically allows for bonus depreciation on personal property, um, which is pretty much any any piece of your property that's 15 year useful life or less. So like the things like the HVAC, things, well, like uh, other pieces, you, we could talk about it for hours. Um, that you can bonus depreciate 100% in that first year you're placed at a service. Okay. For what? So, right. So, like, let's say you have a, you know, a million dollar property. Let's keep it easy. Um, you do an excellent cost segregation study with a great engineer who does this, who knows how to really extract value into the personal property piece. And knowing you, you're going to put your finishings, you're going to put some great stuff, put value on some of those things. And, ends up getting out of the million dollars, 30% uh, into personal, allocated to personal property. And that's $300,000 of depreciation that you can deduct on, on and offset off of your taxable income. Wow. Right? So that's wow. huge. So you had a million dollar, you know, SKS is giving you a K-1. You made a million dollars out of SKS and you're going to technically pay taxes on a million dollars but you did this cost sex study on this property that you placed in service that gave you a 300K paper loss. I call it a paper loss because you're not actually physically paying for that deduction. It's it's depreciation. It's one of the most beautiful things. It's a paper loss. It's not really a loss. You're showing a, you're showing a paper loss of 300K. So instead of paying taxes on a, on a million, whatever you've made that year, you're paying taxes on 700K. Wow. And so what was it originally? So, so originally... What was what? What was the like cost? Say, how were you able to actually segregate the cost of depreciation in your, um, in your asset, whatever it may be, a home or? So, so if you don't use a cost segregation study, um, you essentially, depending on the type of property, you depreciate the property over the useful life of it. So, like twenty, depending on what type of property, twenty nine and a half or thirty seven years. Um, wow, you would depreciate it. Depreciate it. Yeah. Whereas if you do this cost sag and you're subject to the bonus depreciation, you're in a great position because you're 2021. Anyone that bought property in 2023 and on, or, or 2023 are subject to 80%. You're subject to the 100. Makes sense. And, and 2024, it goes to 60. Got it. 2025, it just keeps going down until it expires. Unless, hopefully, this thing gets picked up again and it, it gets, it gets uh, reissued. But as of now, that's where we're at. One thing is a lot of people... Uh, they 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 get this confused, right? That cost that cost segregation study is still beneficial. Like for you right now, you a lot of people think because you're in 2023 right now, right? You're subject to the 80, percent but you're actually subject to the 100 percent because you it's when wow. you bought it. Wow. Okay. Even though the appraised value when I bought it isn't what it is today. No, it has nothing to do with appraised value. It's it's about the cost basis. Wow. Yeah. So. 
So, you know, it's a beautiful opportunity for you, probably something to consider. Now, I'm not saying don't live in it. it yeah, I know you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears in it and you can live in it. Uh, but doing a cost sex study and taking advantage of the bonus depreciation rules, look, these could be things that kind of even outweigh the benefit of getting 5% yield on something. Right. Absolutely. And you make a very good point. These are the intangibles. Right. Right. There are things that, you know, we don't see right when we write down all the numbers until we talk to the right people to find out. Right. And and for example, you know, right now, a lot of people aren't going into building, you know, these custom homes because of something called leakage fees, mm -hmm. which are fees that came about recently where it just makes it so that it's not worth it anymore. If you're building over 500 square feet, you have to pay these, you know, obscene amount of money to the city um, to, to, you know, get the plans approved. Right. And I was able to sign a covenant that I will be, I won't be selling the house for a minimum of three years to circumvent having to pay those linkage fees. Right. So a combination of this and that, I mean, your 5% may now be much higher. I'm going to just give you your, what you're going to do, and I'm sorry, you got to do it just because it makes most sense, and it's it's ultimately going to help you retire. Does this have to be off the record? <laughs> okay, this is what you're going to do, right? So you, yeah, you're subject to three years. When does that expire? So 2024, okay. end of 2024. Okay, so here here's something gold, another gold thing about tax and, and uh, property. Um. So if you choose to live in it, which is, I think it's your plan, right? Uh, yeah. So let's say you choose to live in it. Turning into like a baby, so yeah. can't give it up, right? Right. I think you should live in it a minimum of two years, right? Live in it for two years. And maybe after that, God willing, you guys upgrade. You know, you're going to have five, six kids, so you're going to have five more <laughs> bedrooms. And after that, you choose, okay, I'm going to rent this thing out for a couple of years. And then, you know, you could decide what you want to do. Let's say the market's doing well, the real estate market's jumping back up, and then you decide to sell this thing. What happens, right? So first off, when you put that thing for service, meaning you put it for rent, um, you could do the depreciation that we just discussed. Um, the other thing you could do is you probably don't even need to 1031 this, right? The 1031, for those who don't know, uh, uh, I'm sure most people know by now, is basically being able to defer your capital gains by selling your piece of property and reinvesting it into another like-kind property. And it was like-kind in real estate is very flexible. Essentially, pretty much any real estate works. Um, it has to be real estate. Um, so you don't need to necessarily do that. I mean, I hope, I hope you make a killer profit when you sell this thing. But the minimum, yeah, because you're married, and this is the benefit of you being married, um, you can get maximum a five hundred thousand um, dollar waived on your maximum five hundred thousand dollars waived on your capital gains because you lived in that property for two years out of the last five years. It's considered your your one primary residence, and you're going to be able to get that deferral. So not even deferral. So let's say you sold the property for six hundred, you know, for a gain of six hundred thousand dollars ultimately. That. Uh, you would only pay taxes on a hundred thousand dollars. Wow, and that's yeah. something for only married couples. Well, so the the it's five hundred thousand for married couples. If you're single, you only get two fifty. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you get a benefit, but it's much better if you're married. Hey. So then, what you just accomplished is you got the benefit of your primary residence because you lived there two to five years. So you 
completely not pay taxes on your sale. And then you also get the benefit of the depreciation, which is you can you can get the hundred percent bonus on the wow. on the property and end up end up deferring your taxes your the income that you're making. Um, and you're in a unique situation because you're already a real estate professional. You're for sure actively participating in this, and we could talk about this at another time. But um, the, the the issue that a lot of people have that are not in the real estate space is that okay, they'll get that bonus appreciation and they'll get those paper losses, but they're only they're considered passive activity because they're real estate. It's passive income. They're not able to offset that loss against their gain from their regular business because that's active. This is passive. I understand what you're saying. Um, Yes, I understand. It's the, it, they're not real estate professionals, ultimately. Right. Real estate professionals, per the IRS guidance, uh, can treat their investments in their property as active income. Amazing. Right. So there's a whole thing that you need to do to solidify that, per the IRS. But uh, it's really just, um, yeah, it's, you know, if it's a, once you achieve it and, you know, you got to make sure you talk to a professional and make sure you can achieve it, it's, it's super beneficial. Because you could be at a point where you're effectively paying no income tax on your on your business because all you're doing is buying more property, using the depreciation to front load it, offset it against your income, rinse and repeat. Right, right. And and, and then they talk about how, you know, people from all lines of work, you know, jump into real estate yeah. and and then and, and they put most of their eggs into real estate. And and this is why, because it, it takes a lot of, you know, understanding. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people are afraid of making that jump because they know how big of a mountain it is to learn and to, to operate in the space. Um, but with a Bajanov like you, you know, we got a pretty good team. Yeah, that was amazing. That's, that's an amazing thing to know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I'm, uh, I'm excited for you in this journey. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that you can navigate that and uh, be able to, you know, choose wherever, you know, life takes you. And ultimately, it's a win-win. You know, so um, it, it's really good, super exciting. I really, really appreciate some of the tips you gave us. For me, it was, a, it was very, a, very, because, you know, on the development side and that experience, super add value for me. Thanks for joining someone. Absolutely. Um, I hope you join us again. I think we're, we're running out of time, but. Uh, I would love to be a regular. I mean, this is a meeting of the minds and it helps me more than, you know, as much as it helps you and our audience, you know, yeah. get to really talk about what we're doing and, and think creatively. Yeah, I look forward to joining. And uh, for now, go enjoy being an uncle. Congratulations again. Shahab and Jess, cheers to you guys. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers. I love it. Okay.